Hello friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello friends are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. Hello, friends. This message is from August 22nd, 2021. It's on the verses from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Hello, friends. So this morning, we're going to jump into the epistle. I haven't, I haven't taught on the epistle yet. I've done the Old Testament. We've done the New Testament the last few weeks. But today we're on the epistle. And we read the part of the epistle. This reading is writing from Paul to the church in Ephesus. But I'm warning you, these words in Ephesians 5, 22-33 that we read today are some of the most criticized, most attacked, most debated words in the Bible today. Some find these words offensive. Some find these words demeaning. Why? Because the words of Ephesians 5, 22-33 are about the roles of men and women within the institute of marriage as created by God. Today, the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman is constantly called to question. And many are left wondering what God actually has to say about marriage. You see, Ephesians 5 has become a divisive topic. And some pastors and churches are just going to shy away from it for fear of backlash and attack. There are so many things that we can pull from this text today and focus on that are true instead of defending the text. There are many things that we can discuss, but I fear it could turn into a political debate. You see, there is a great message for, here, for us here to study. A great message that is lost when we want to argue about what is said in these verses. So we can let the outside pressure of the world tell us to defend and argue this text. But I want to focus on the greatest message from Paul to us. I want to focus on the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride and church. That is where we should start when we look at this text. You see, this text is not just about marriage. This text is about Christ and his church. The message of Christ's love for the church is laid out by Paul. In these verses and our marriages are to reflect the love Christ had for his church talking about marriage an institution created by God and really any institution created by God's Word gives us the opportunity to proclaim God's mercies in a deep and beautiful way you see not only does this passage point us to the importance of marriage and God's creation but it also demonstrates how the high view of marriage comes from a higher view of the gospel. 
A good marriage is this not quite in focus picture of Christ's perfect relationship with his beloved church. We get a glimpse of marriage, of the relationship between Christ and the church, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. You see, the relationship between Christ and the church is perfect. And we all know that our marriages are. You see, the church is an institution created by God. And marriage is an institution created by God. And Paul uses love. Love as a link between the institution of marriage as created by God and the institution of the church in Christ. We know the love that is experienced between a man and a wife in the institution of marriage. These words from Paul take love and the roles in marriage between the husband and wife and relates them to the roles of Christ in the church. Today, more than ever, we desperately need to be reminded of both. We need to be reminded of the foundational importance of marriage, and perhaps even more so, the unimaginable depths of Christ's love for us. You see, this passage delivers both in a breathtaking, life-giving way. I felt called to this text today because it contains a verse that is the focus of my favorite book on marriage. The book's entitled Love for Respect. And I've actually read the whole thing. You see, I got to know this book. My wife and I years ago were having a disagreement. Yes, your pastor and his wife had a disagreement several so long. But we were having a really good disagreement this time. And we were, pretty, we were both pretty dug in about why we were unhappy with the other person. We were just trying to make our points with each other. No success in getting the other person to understand what we're thinking or trying to say. I remember standing in the kitchen after another back and forth conversation that's going nowhere. And I said to my wife, I have nothing else to say because you don't respect what I have to say. The conversation was done at that point. But a few days later, my wife shows up with this book in her hand. And the letter that she wrote was still in the back. She asked me to read it with her, but if I didn't want to, she would understand. I, being a good husband, chose to read the book. But as I read through the first chapter, I was saying to myself, this is us to a T. The author could have been sitting in our house, recording our conversations, and writing them in that book. My wife and I read each chapter individually, and then we discussed the chapters together, chapter after chapter, until we completed the book. The book, Love and Respect, is based on Ephesians 5.33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why did Paul spend all this time laying out the roles of men and women within marriage? And then in verse 33 he says, Men, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Because that's the way we're wired. That's the way we're wired. That's the way God created us. Women are driven by love. And men are driven by respect. 
This is especially important to men and women inside the institution of marriage. When a husband feels disrespected, he will react unlovingly. And when a wife feels she's been treated unlovingly, she will respond disrespectfully. You see, when a wife reacts disrespectfully to her husband, and a husband reacts unlovingly to his wife, starts this back and forth, one comment after another. And pretty soon, what the author of Love and Respect calls, you're on the crazy cycle. So, the wife acts disrespectfully to her husband. The husband responds unlovingly to his wife. And it goes back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And you're on this crazy cycle, and it's out of control. Round and round it goes, nobody stops, nobody knows, right? It just keeps going round and round. Because the more disrespected a husband feels, the more unloving his wife reacts. The more unloving a wife feels, the more disrespectful the wife responds to her husband. So how does the crazy cycle stop? When you realize you're on it. When you realize you're on it. My wife and I have facilitated a video-based study on this book, and I use it for all my marriage counseling for new couples. We're going to offer it again here soon. Hopefully this fall. And I'll put a plug in right now. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. So the single person sitting here wondering, what does this have to do with me? I'm not married. I can tell you what understanding Ephesians 5.33 has done for me in my personal relationships outside of the marriage. It has helped me to realize that I'm a very respect-driven person. I thrive on respect. I want nothing more than to be respected and to show respect. Respect is my love language. It also showed me that when I'm treated disrespectfully, I can identify it and not act unlovingly back to the person who is being disrespectful. You see, one of the hardest things for me to work on as a sinner is how I react when I feel disrespected. In the past, when I'm disrespected over and over again by a person, I'll just avoid that person. Because I don't like the way I was treated. But that's not what we're called to do in our marriages. That's not what we're called to do in our personal relationships as Christians. Also, understanding Ephesians 5.33 is helping to understand the relationship between Christ and His bride and church. You see, I react much differently than Jesus does. When the bride, when we, the bride of his church, are disrespectful towards God, when we, his bride, sin against him, when we, his bride, deny his word, when we, his bride, wanders from the truth, when we sin daily in thought, word, and deed against him, how does he respond? He loves us. He loves us. You see, Jesus is no ordinary husband to the church, his bride. Pastor John Piper said this about Ephesians 5, 22-33 that we read this morning. God modeled marriage on the covenant love between Christ and the church. God modeled marriage on the covenant love between Christ and the church. The roles of husband and wife come from the roles God designed for Christ this also. Let every husband seek to love and lead and nourish and protect.
protect by Christ. And let every wife love her husband and honor, respect his Christ-like role. And the two joining hands in Christ's exalting mission as God meant for the church to do. This is the lens we must look at these verses from. If you want to take Christ out of these verses, it reads something like this. Wives, submit to your husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife. Wives should submit in everything to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I did a word count there. Ephesians 5, 22-33. It's just over 200 words. You take Christ out of that, now we're at 100 words. If Ephesians 5 read like that, I'd have a problem. But it doesn't. That's not how Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul wrote a marriage between a husband and a wife. And Paul wrote a marriage between Christ and his church. The example of Christ and his church is the example for us as husbands and wives. You see, we're just like the Pharisees in our gospel reading today. We've ejected our own thoughts into that verse, haven't we? We've taken our brains and interjected our thoughts and opinions into a passage of Scripture and made it a divisive issue. Not only to the world, but inside the church who came and agreed on these verses. These words for Paul were meant to unify us, not divide us. Paul wants to show us how a united marriage reflects the image of unity God intended between Christ and the church. So with that, let's look at God's word and see what it says to us. In Ephesians 5, 22-24, there are instructions not just for wives, but for the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, it, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The first word that people have problems with that causes concern is submit. The word submit. To truly understand what Paul means by submit, we need to look back at Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see in the Greek in the original, verse 21 is an introduction to this section of Paul's letter on wives and husbands. But for some reason, the people that write the Bible put a break there, and there's a new title. Ephesians 5.21 belongs with 22-23 or 22-33. You see, Paul tells both men and women, husbands and wives, to submit to one another out of reverence, out of respect for Christ. We're to lay aside our selfish interests and submit to each other. Through faith, we, the church, submit to Christ, our Savior. In verse 22, Paul instructs wives to submit to their husbands, as both husbands and wives submit to the Lord. Paul is not telling wives to submit like a trained animal. Paul is laying out a rule. God has given her in marriage. 
and that is to view her husband as an image and representative of Christ. The second word that causes concern for some is head. Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. You see, headship here is not a tyranny of a husband over a wife. Head has to do with the role of a husband in marriage. Think of it this way. If marriage is one body, then the husband is the head of the body, and the woman is the heart of the body. Each has its role. These roles are no important than the other. Neither the head nor the heart can survive without each other. After giving instructions for wives in marriage, Paul then restates again in Ephesians 25-24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The church's primary relationship to Christ is defined not in obedience as laid out in the law, but in receiving as laid out for us in the gospel. The church does not save itself, but graciously receives salvation from Jesus Christ. In the same way wives cherish her husband's self-sacrifice for his bride. So now Paul goes on to give instructions for husbands in Ephesians 5, 25 and 31. Let's start with Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In contrast to the culture at the time, the husband is instructed not to rule over her, but to love his wife. If Paul meant for husbands to rule over submissive wives, he would not have wrote the instructions to love his wife. Besides that, he follows it up with this example that no husband can come even close to living up to. Love your wife like Jesus loves the church and gave his life for her. You see the image of Christ and what he has done for us to, as Christians? is what our faith is all about. You take Christ out, and our faith looks much different without the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If the husband's love for his wife is Christ-like, he is willing to give up his life for her. Paul's words speak to the way I'm wired as a husband. If it came down to it, I would do whatever it takes to protect my wife, even if it meant risking my own life. And I know many other men have said the same thing about their wives. When Paul gives us these words to create an image for us of what Christ did for the church, and he gave himself up for her. In, five, in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, there's this image. There's this image of what it looks like. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What's the most beautiful thing you see at a wedding? It's the bride in her dress, right? It's the bride in her white wedding dress. Everyone knows who the bride is because of that beautiful white gown. At baptisms, baptisms, many times children will wear a white gown. At a, at a funeral, when the casket enters the sanctuary, a white pall is placed on the casket as a reminder of our baptism. You see, washing of water with the word is baptism. Baptism is a means in which Christ sanctified 
made holy his bride of church. In a baptism, we are made holy. The white robe of baptism is pictured as a wedding gown for us in verse 27. All of these images portray a church that has been cleansed by baptism and is made holy because of Christ. We don't do it on our own. When Paul says that we are holy and blameless, this is a description of how God sees us in his eyes. As Christ is holy and blameless, as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, we are made holy and blameless by the forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Paul goes on for instructions for husbands, Ephesians 5, 28-29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. It is impossible to love someone else if you don't love yourself first. It is impossible to love someone else if you don't love yourself first. I officiated a wedding this past summer. We went through love and respect, as I do with all the couples that I officiate their weddings. And in one of the sessions, Emerson, the author of the book, posed this question. What is the issue when the issue isn't the issue? What is the issue when the issue isn't the issue? When I heard that question, I immediately wrote it down. Because I immediately identified the question. So many times it wasn't what my wife said. It was more that's going on inside of me. And it was compounded by the underlying issue that's going on within me at the time. I know many times the issue behind the issue was most likely me acting unlovingly towards myself. If I'm acting unloving towards myself, I'm certainly not going to act lovingly towards my wife, especially when she makes a comment that I find disrespectful. And then Paul ends in Ephesians 5, 30 and 31. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, Paul is showing that the husband and his wives are not these two separate bodies, but one body in which the husband is the head and the wife is the heart. They must each have, their, they must each, have each other to survive. No one is more important than the other. But these words from Paul are also a direct quote from Genesis 2.24. Let's look at the context in which these words were quoted from Paul. So remember, God just put Adam to sleep, and he takes out a rib, and he makes a woman from the rib, and he presents Eve to Adam. And Adam said this, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And then we read the same words, Genesis 2.24 and Ephesians 5.31. Therefore a man shall love, leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, husbands and wives always have been one flesh. God created marriage to be one flesh, just as Christians are one body with Christ. Notice those words that Paul wrote, to hold fast. To hold fast. In the Greek, the word is to join, to unite. 
Hold fast is a forever commitment. When a man and woman become one flesh, they join, join and are united. They hold fast on the good days of marriage, and they hold fast on the days when my wife is being disrespectful and my husband is being unloved. We are meant to be joined as one flesh until death do us part. So that brings us to Ephesians 5.32. This mystery is profound. Amen, Paul. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Mystery is a word that immediately jumped out at me. You know that Paul was never married. Of course marriage is a mystery. Marriage is a mystery because no two are alike. Some husbands and wives say they're soulmates and they're best friends. And others don't hardly ever say I love you at all. I told you I loved you years ago. If it changes, I'll let you know. You know when I did my daughter's wedding, I looked up there are 20,000 books on marriages on Amazon. 20,000 just on Amazon. Love and respect is sold over a million copies. Many husbands and wives are trying to solve the mysteries in their marriage. The mystery that Paul writes, though, is understanding marriage between a husband and a wife in the same way as the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship between Christ and the church gives meaning to marriage. That is what Paul is saying in these words. You see, there is a mystery between Christ and the church that we're never going to truly fully understand. We never will. What Christ did for the church cannot be put into words. We'll never truly fully understand it. These words from Paul were meant to give unity to the church. And these words were meant to give unity to marriage between husbands and wives. You see, without the example of Christ in the church, we would be left to the first husband and wife, Adam and Eve, as our example. Eve acted opposite of the instructions in Ephesians 5, didn't she? She didn't submit to God's design. Adam failed as a husband. He was supposed to teach Eve, don't eat from that tree. But he didn't do it. Adam also stood and watched as Eve ate the fruit. And then when God confronted him, what did they do? Adam said, oh, Eve did it. Did he do it? And Eve said, oh, it was the serpent. Not much love and respect being shown between Adam and Eve right there, is there? If Adam and Eve are examples for marriage, we're in a bit of trouble. But God gives us these words in Ephesians 5 to see the relationship between Christ and the church as our example for marriage. You see, the good news for us is it wasn't left up to Adam and Eve. Jesus is a different sort of husband altogether. Christ is the new Adam who loves the church, even in her sins. And he gave himself up for her. Jesus and his saving work restores us to God's created purposes. In the book, Love and Respect, Emerson asked two questions about how we speak to our spouses. The first question was this. Would you want to be on the receiving ends of the words that just came out of your mouth? 
In a second, would you say those words to your spouse if Jesus was standing beside her? Emerson answered the second question by saying Jesus is standing beside your spouse. What you're saying to your spouse, you're saying to Jesus. You see, Jesus is standing beside each and every person on this earth. Each and every one of us are made in his image. God planned for each and every one of us to be on this earth at this time and this place. There's somewhere around 7 billion people in the world. 7 billion people. And God knows each and every one of us. And yet, he's the only one that can show us what the perfect relationship is between Jesus and the church. His name is Jesus Christ. He was perfect for us to give us the example to be perfect. That is the mystery that is profound. That is the most profound mystery. And that is the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Amen? Thank you for joining Hello Friends. This is Pastor Bill Clark. God's blessing to you, friend.